You follow physician finance bloggers, podcasters, and other doctors who have turned into side hustle entrepreneurs. Maybe you thought you'd take a crack at it, or maybe you're still in the thinking phase. Whatever it is, you might not have considered there's a whole lineup of things to consider before jumping in. So stick around to learn about the side of physician hustles that no one really tells you about. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. Before we jump into the show, let's hear a quick message from our sponsor. Over 2 million people are earning money by hosting on Airbnb. It's free to list and Airbnb has a tool that'll help you price your place just right. If you're worried about your property when you list with them, don't be. Airbnb offers something called a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. And here's the deal. You're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Your home, your rules. Host when you want and how you want. You could list one bedroom or the entire place. It's totally up to you. So whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might be one of the best investments you haven't made yet. When you go to financialresidency.com slash Airbnb and start hosting, you're going to receive a $100 cash bonus if you generate $500 in booking value by December 31st. Of course, terms and conditions apply. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Oh man, if I could tell you how involved having a weekly podcast with two shows a week and a blog is in one word, I'd call it busy. But two years ago, I wanted to help people, physicians specifically, educate themselves more intelligently around their finances. And since it's taken off, which still blows my mind, It has been a complete and total process to get where we are, and I'm so thankful to have been on this journey. In essence, the more people I meet, the more I find similarities in our journeys, like is the next case with our next guest and good buddy of mine, Robert Farrington, who's the creator of the huge, popular, massive, amazing blog, thecollegeinvestor.com, and he's also a co-founder with me at LoanBuddy. While he shares the story of simple beginnings and trials, his tried and true success story has left him making seven figures from his blog. I'll let him tell you more about what to expect, what you need to do, and why you should follow your dreams of starting that physician side hustle only and only if you are cautiously, strategically, and honestly mentally prepared to do it. Pardon the noise in the background. We were on the floor of FlynnCon, Pat Flynn's conference, not to be confused with FinCon, but we were recording there on the floor while we were waiting for the next keynote speaker. So let's jump in and hang out with Robert. Enjoy. Robert, thanks for being here. Excited to chat with you and have you on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be awesome. So Robert and I are at FlynnCon, the first conference that is being put on by Pat Flynn, and we were having a great time and we said, you know what, let's talk about how hard it is to actually blog and to start this because most physicians that are starting to get in this blogosphere, they saw the success of White Coat Investor, Physician on Fire, and some of the other 
bloggers that have kind of come up and they don't necessarily know how hard it is to do that. And I'm like, this would be perfect to talk to Robert on. So Robert, why don't you give just kind of a high level overview of the college investor and when you started in, what's it like? Yeah, definitely. So I started the College Investor in 2009. So we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the site. Overnight success. Right? I mean, it's also like the White Coat Investor, right? So he was actually one of the first bloggers I ever met in real life. And I met him in 2013. I mean, and he'd already been blogging for a few years. I think we actually started around the same time. So another 10-year deal, right? I started with nothing. I didn't make any money for two years. I didn't get any traction for a year and a half, and I didn't know what I was doing because you think it's just about putting up content and throwing it out there and maybe sharing your ideas, but to actually turn it into anything that's worth it is just so much more than that. And it takes a lot of time, effort, knowledge, networking, and more, right? And it's, we just see people when they finally like actually got a little traction, you don't realize all the work and everything that's been put in going and leading up to that. Yeah. So I think for comparison, where are you at now? Like tell us a little bit about the average stats on College Investor and then let's go back to the beginning because I want people to know like how dominant you really are in this space. It's maybe not something that physicians have heard of, even though you've been on the show before. Sure. So let's start there and then let's roll it back. Yeah, it's funny because my little blog gets 3 million visitors a month. It does a lot of revenue. It does a lot of traction. We have a lot of brand partnerships, but it definitely didn't start there. We kind of alluded to it before, but when I started, there was nothing, no revenue, no traffic. I mean, I was lucky to get 20 to 30 visitors a day after a year of blogging, but I also didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. I didn't make any networking connections. I mean, if you want to treat your blog as a business, right? It is a business. So you have to think of it as such and network and market and build connections and build partnerships. All those different things go into building a blog. It's not just about writing an article and then tweeting about it because nobody will care. Absolutely not. And trust me, I've, I've found this out the hard way. And through some of your mentorship and discussion, like it's helped the podcast grow, the blog grow and the Facebook groups, like you have such a wealth of knowledge, which is amazing let's take in each piece of those. So like blogging, people think like, I'm just going to start a blog and I'm just going to type it out and then like tweet it out or whatever. What do you mean by networking? That was like the first big game changer for me. So I blogged for like a year and a half just in a silo. I think I started the blog because I read some internet marketer's guide to starting a blog. Like those epitome of like, you know, I blog and you can start one too. And I totally fell for it. And I was like, yeah, you know, I can start one too. So I started one, started writing and just didn't go anywhere. But it was about a year and a half in when I connected with some other financial bloggers online. And it was just in a forum. This was in like 2011. So forums were still a thing. And They were just talking about what they've learned, what's working for them. They were sharing each other's content. They were offering to help new people out that share their content. Those online connections, I actually still have some today. And they went a long way to just helping me understand what I should be doing, how to do it better. I learned a lot. I made some friends. I made some business colleagues. And like those online connections went a long way to propelling it out. And it's the same thing you do if you were starting a brick and mortar business. Like you need to have connections. You need to network. You need to get your name out there, but you need to learn what's working in your area, your industry, your space. So even physicians that want to start out, whether they're starting a blog or their own private practice, like that's what you got to do. You got to get yourself out there and you got to learn what's working. 
So networking obviously helped kind of catapult. And there's so much more information available now than in 2011 or 10 when you started. Absolutely. And so like that was one major turning point. And that was this point where I learned how to at least monetize, write good content, be a little better at blogging. And I think in that first year after that, I made about $7,000 online, which is huge, right? Like I take that as a side Absolutely. hustle any day, right? I was able to incrementally grow a little bit till that first major turning point after that was networking in person when I attended my first conference, which was FinCon, the financial blogger conference. I don't even think it was called FinCon. That was the financial blogger conference right then. And taking that learning for myself and networking to the next level because there's something about in-person relationships. Yeah, there's something about like in-person networking, right? So we met at FinCon a couple of years back and FinCon is amazing. And we've talked on it. I've actually done shows from the floor there. That has allowed me to understand how to even podcast. And it's funny, I keep thinking back when I started the podcast, it was literally for all of our friends who are physicians that were just asking me all these questions. And I wanted to give them somewhere to go, somewhere to understand what's going on. Right. And through FinCon and the networking and people like you have really helped make this into it. I still can't believe we have 3,000 plus people that download this thing and listen to us. You know, it still blows my mind, but that has accelerated my learning curve, the knowledge, the growth that just really didn't occur back then. Right. So what are some of the other things that could help someone understand, like, is blogging right for them? Or because they see the success that others are having and they're like, well, I could do that. Sure. And I mean, that's how I started. Right. But you have to decide, like, blogging is right for you if you're a writer. It's the easiest medium. If you can write, like, I can write 2000 words in 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, not even break a sweat, not try too hard at it. It would take me hours. Yeah, it's easy for me. But I mean, there's podcasting. Maybe you're a better speaker. There's video. Some people are just naturals like on a camera and they can just, you know, wing it. They don't need to make scripts and they don't need to spend time. They can just turn on their camera and go. So that's the cool thing is we live in this day and age because people want content about their industry, their niche. Everybody's an expert at something and everybody has a unique value proposition that they bring to the table. Nobody can duplicate themselves. So like you have life experiences, you have industry knowledge, you have skills that only you possess and that you can share. And that's like your, you know, special sauce. And as long as you can translate that into a medium that allows people to consume it, whether that is writing, whether that is audio and speaking or whether that is video, you know, there's definitely potential out there. But with anything that you want to turn into a business, you have to not only do that work, but you have to apply the business to it. And that usually also entails consistency, that entails like quality, and it entails time, right? So like if you want to start anything, whether it's a podcast, video, audio, or a blog, you got to do it. And you got to put the work in every week, three times a week for a year or two years or three years. And then you got to market it too. Like just because you do it, if no one knows it exists, you know, if a tree falls into a forest, does anyone hear it? So like in personal finance, when we say the word budget, you know, everyone's like, ah, like don't talk about budget and they tune it out. They immediately want to run away. That is consistency is that word for everyone who's creating content. If you don't have consistency, you're going to struggle in what's going on. And that has been really tough, you know, to produce for me two shows a week on financial residency. But I have known that, you know, people are starting to depend on it. I get some amazing emails. Please keep them coming. You know, Ryan at financialresidency.com if if there's anything you want to see on the show or us talk about, because coming up with content is also tough to do. You know, coming up with content is tough, but I think that people that are working in things have an advantage because they're seeing things every day. Absolutely. The hard part is, is that when you're living it, 
you might not think other people care about it, but they do. Like, that's why reality TV exists. People are voyeurs. They want to see into your lives. They want to see what you're doing every day. So, like, you don't think it's interesting, but the outside world does. And you have to, like, remind yourself of that and give yourself the credit. And you got to put it out there. But it's hard because you also, you know, do you want to be super personal? That could be weird. Maybe that's not your thing. Like, do you want to be an expert in your field? That also has different pros and cons. Like maybe your field's super niche and you have a small audience, but at the same time, like there probably are people that care and want to hear what you have to say. So if they're going to create a side hustle, side business, whatever we want to call it, and they listening have decided, you know what, I'm going to be one of the new hundred plus physician bloggers or podcasters or YouTubers out there, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. what couple pieces of advice do you have for them to make sure that they understand the journey that they're about to embark on, right? This 10 year overnight success story. Right. So, I mean, you got a plan. You got to go out there two to three times a week, every week with new content. It has to be the best content. Explain that because I know I've thought best content meant something different, which it seems very basic. But after talking with you for years now on what best content means, I think people need to hear what that really is. Yeah. So like if we want to just talk a blog, okay? Sure. Best content is probably 2,500 words, at least maybe 5,000. Depends on your niche. Table of contents, images, video, audio embedded, tables, charts, social sharing. You go find three other experts that know about that subject and you cite them in the article and you link to them to prove that you're not just full of it. That's the best. Like you go to Google, you look at the top 10 results and then you gotta be better than all those 10 because Google already thinks they're the best. So if you're gonna come to the table as the new guy, you gotta throw down something that's even better than that. And we're not even talking domain authority and SEO and all the other stuff that goes into the No, this is just on the content and then you gotta market it, right? By being the best, it's easier to market your content. People are more apt to share it. Let's go back to your budgeting example. If you're gonna come to the table with budgeting, that's been done 10,000 times over again. Like, what are you bringing that's new, unique, interesting? Are you sharing your budget? You give me real examples? Are you breaking down the tools you use? Are you like not only getting commentary, but are you getting criticism? We can totally have more budgeting posts out there. But like, if you wanna come and be the best budgeting post that there is, like, you gotta bring it. And like, you gotta be comfortable doing that. And then you gotta share it. But like I said, by having commentary, that means someone else already said something and they're likely to share it. And then if you have criticism, like they might also be likely to share it because they might disagree, but they're going to try to share their perspective, but you're going to get exposure. And so like by putting something together that is the best, you naturally have a higher likelihood that it's going to be successful. doesn't mean it is. I mean, even the best baseball players are like what? 0.35 batting average. That means that means they're missing seven pitches and they're only hitting three and that makes them the best. It's yeah. the same in the blogging and content creation world. You try to do the best every single time and you're going to hit three out of 10. When you're first starting out, you're hitting one out of 30. It's just because you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You got to practice. Big learning curve. Yeah, you got to practice though. You got to keep putting that content out there. And that's also part of the, the more consistent you are and the more time you put in, you'll naturally get better. For all the doctors out there, I mean, there's a reason you go to school for seven years. <laughs> like, You know nothing when you're in college. You learn it, you practice it, you try it, you go to residency, you're still learning things in the field, you have continuing education. That's what makes you successful. And it's the same thing when you start a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel. Yeah, and it's so hard for them because they have to give up so much to become a doctor, to be in medicine or to be even just married to medicine is tough, right? 
So they're looking for these passive income sources, the easy things. And you've mentioned blogging as a business. And it, it could be podcasting. It could be videos. Like, we're just going to say blogging for the thing. Robert's got all of them, by the way. He somehow is a magician and does all of these things well. But let's talk the business of blogging. Yeah. Go behind the scenes a little bit and tell us, like, how hard it is to run the business of a blog. Yeah. The content's part of it. Then you have the marketing and sharing it and getting exposure to it. And then, like, how are you going to even make money? Just because people are out there reading it doesn't mean you're going to make money. Then you got to look at display advertising and affiliate partnerships and brand partnerships or creating your own content to sell. Or like we are doing, we're creating our own service to sell. There are a whole range of ways to monetize, but like you got to figure out how they work. You got to implement them. You got to follow up with them and you got to like execute while you don't let the other two facets of content creation and marketing drop. You're telling me not only can I just not write a thousand word post and say, ah, oh, I tweeted it once and I'm good. There's not only just that piece, but now you got to make the content better with images and graphics and videos and audio and all these things that people are probably like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. It is. And that's not even probably the most important thing. I think they're all important, but it there's is. so many I mean, other it, facets. You know, it, it all goes hand in hand. It's like a Venn diagram. They all overlap in the middle with your business, right? But you got your content, you got your marketing, you got your monetization. And, you know, you don't have to monetize, but then you have a hobby. You don't have a side business. Exactly. Right? You don't have to market, but now you have a journal. You don't have a blog, right? And you don't have to do a blog at all. You could just continue to do your day job and go home and watch Netflix. Yeah, like, which is totally fine. It is. Right? Because before White Coat Investor, there was the wealthy doc. And he decided he never wanted to monetize. And he still puts out great content. Sure. And that's, for him, what he wanted to do. White Coat, obviously, and everyone kind of following him now, sees, well, dollar signs, it allows me to not have to practice clinical medicine, whatever. They want to use it as more passive. It's also your choice. So, like, even outside of the, the medical financial place, there's a military um, blogger that he donates 100% of his blogging profits to charity. He's already retired. He has a solid pension, doesn't need the money. You can say Doug's blog and, and yeah, what it Doug is. I mean, Norman, it, like it's a, amazing what yeah, he's doing. I mean, I'm always messing up. There's like three of them, but it's like the military wallet or something like that. But yeah, I mean, like he does 100% of his proceeds to charity, but he enjoys teaching other military members about like the craziness that is the military benefit system. Like that's a mess. He's a super savvy guy and he makes money on his blog, but gives it all to military charities. And like still likes to educate military members about all these benefits. Awesome. Like that's cool. You know, you got to do you and what you enjoy. And if you want a side business, like blogging is totally a viable one even today. But like could also go be an Uber driver. There's nothing to say that one is better than the other. It's also just how you value your time, what you're good at, when you want to do it, and how much effort you want to commit to it. A ride-sharing driver requires no ongoing effort. You try on an app, you drive, you stop when you want to stop but you don't make as much. And I think people always try to balance this in this ROI calculation in their mind. Well, blogging has zero ROI probably for a year or two, right? But it has infinite over time, but that is also equated to the work and effort and time you put into it, which could be a challenge when you're balancing that with a career. We have some medical students that have actually messaged me and said like, hey, I drive for Uber or Lyft on the side, you know, trying to make it so I don't take as many student debt. And it's an amazing story. And I, I do want to highlight that story at some point in a future episode. But coming back to this, it is a business if you want it to be. If you don't want it to be and you want it to be a hobby, great. But the business side of this is important to understand. It's not just I'm going to throw out a thousand word post and call it a day because I shared it somewhere. Totally. I mean, that's not going to work. You know, that stopped working a few years ago and it's probably never going to work again. It could be a journal for you. 
but it's not going to be a viable, uh, you know, monetized blog for your side hustle. Yeah. So I want to end our interview here with what you know now. Would you start a blog fresh today? Totally. Like it's still a super viable way to earn money, to be a side hustle, but it takes work just like anything else. It's not passive? <laughs> no, it's it's definitely not. Pa- I mean, it, it is passive in the way that you put the work up front for today's article and it might still earn residual income into the future. But it's going to slowly die a slow death unless you're continually putting out new content. And that's assuming that it was already a successful piece to start with. And so that's the cool thing with a blog. My blog has 2,000 articles on it. And I would say about 50 of them actually make any money. You know, they're always in a decline. It's always a declining amount of money you make. So that's why you put out new content because you're hoping the next one is going to be successful to replace one that's declining. It's just like a book royalty, right? You launch a book. You get a bunch of money like the week it launches, and then every week you're selling less and less and less books. And, you know, maybe you have some spikes here and there because it gets reshared. Your book comes popular again, but like it's going to slow less. And that's why authors put out another book exactly. a year or two later because they need to re, and then they rehash their old book because they need those spikes to come back up because it's a constant decline. And that's what you have to realize. You can put it akin to almost any kind of real estate. It's online real estate. You could buy an apartment complex. You don't put any work into your apartment complex. You will earn like less and less rent over time because you're going to have to find new tenants when one leaves. You don't do that. Like you have a vacancy that's going to cost you. Your building is going to, you know, have maintenance issues going to cost you. It's a decline. You have to view a blog as online real estate, almost like you would offline real estate. Yeah, that's so well said. So Robert, where can everyone find, hear more about you, what you're up to? Yeah, definitely. So the College Investor is our main site. We talk about student loans, investing. You know, we have our new software as a service called Loan Buddy. So if you're trying to navigate your student loan debt, don't know where to start, you can go to loanbuddy.us. It's a freemium service for free. I will tell you the lowest repayment plan option for you. There's a bunch of tools and services there beyond the free product. You should check it out if you are struggling to navigate your student loan debt. We're having a lot of fun building that and you know, excited that it's just coming out of beta and about to kick some butt. So thanks so much again for being on the show. It's always fun to hang out. Yeah, definitely. This is awesome. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the Urgent Care Career site by Dr. Mo titled, The Math of Becoming a Millionaire. Killer title, by the way. In it, the author addresses the path to being a millionaire and the factors that are at play. As they put it, most physicians will become millionaires, but the question is when and how many times over? They also point out that if physicians can't do it and make it to seven-figure net worth, then pretty much everyone else is, in their terms, effed. But ironically, the easiest path to becoming a millionaire isn't through a career in healthcare. It's through savings and investing as early as possible. Here are a few other things that they outlined that I thought were really interesting. And I quote, to calculate the math of becoming a millionaire, we need three values, the rate of return on investments, contributions, and time in the market. For the average physician, the biggest driver will be their savings rate. That's the amount that they'll be able to set aside from their income. And many might not want to focus on their investment return, but they might fail to account for higher risk associated with the higher returns. And this is dubbed as the risk premium. They then proceed to outline a couple values, three of them to be exact, that I thought were really 
right on point. And that's why I chose this article because I think they did a great job. So the first is the rate of return is about investing at a pace where your risk is not as high. And they stated that there is only so much risk that you can take with your money. And unless you're a professional investor, which I kind of chuckle at that, you're going to want to be fairly conservative. And after all, you're able to set aside a lot of money every month, potentially as a physician, and your income is fairly secure. Second is contributions, which is the most powerful factor any physician can control. And the author defined this as disposable money available to you after you've paid for housing, food, transportation, and health-related costs. The more you can contribute regularly to your portfolio, the faster you'll become a millionaire. And the third value that they outlined was the duration of investing. Time in the market, not trying to time the market. Very, very different and key point. And the length of time that you've started to take your money seriously, honestly. In fact, the author stated, unlike a banker or professional athlete, physicians spend over a decade actually crafting and becoming a doctor. So it's unlikely that we're going to give up on medicine anytime soon. So we have a long investing horizon. And I like that. I mean, the more physicians that we work with, I do see that trend, but there are some of you out there that do get burnt out a little bit quicker and want to be out of medicine sooner. And definitely that means that contributions become more a play than the third one, which was the duration of investing. What I really like about the article is that the author closes with the reality of being a late saver versus a diligent saver. And they use a scenario of a burger flipper at McDonald's who could realistically become a millionaire if they made the right moves financially. And they pose that by age 70, that person will have been able to accumulate up to $3 million. And in my experience, I see and talk about making the right financial choices as a physician all the time. Whether you're someone who's just starting to figure out how to pay for medical school debt or finally get around to creating that budget that you can then see where you're going to save, spend, and invest. As Urgent Care Career says on their site, it's not magic, it's just math. And thanks for that reminder, Dr. Mo. And it's a pleasure to share it here with the audience. I'll make sure that I link it out on our social media channels. Many thanks to Robert for being on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it along with the Journal Club. Here are four takeaways that I'd really like you to walk away with. You might have the desire to start a blog because you want to share a ton of your ideas. The key to becoming a successful online blogger is first realizing how much work you're going to have to put in to see results over time. So let's hear what Robert had to say. You think it's just about putting up content and throwing it out there and maybe sharing your ideas, but to actually turn it into anything that's worth it is just so much more than that. And it takes a lot of time, effort, knowledge, networking, and more. Number two, if you want to build a blog and make money from it, you need to change your mindset about how you view the blog itself. It's easy to call it a side project, but a side hustle creates a whole new meaning of seriousness and probably profitability. And Robert talked about his experience of not realizing this soon enough. But I also didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. I didn't make any networking connections. I mean, if you want to treat your blog as a business, 
it is a business. So you have to think of it as such and network and market and build connections and build partnerships and all those different things go into building a blog. It's not just about writing an article and then tweeting about it because nobody will care. Building your own side hustle online usually means capitalizing on your strengths. And so if you're a writer, blogging might make better sense than doing a podcast. But if you're a better verbal communicator, maybe your medium should be a podcast. Robert shared a couple great insights I want to highlight. You have to decide blogging is right for you if you're a writer. It's the easiest medium. If you can write, like I can write 2,000 words in 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, not even break a sweat, not try too hard at it. It's easy for me. But I mean, there's podcasting. Maybe you're a better speaker. There's video. Some people are just natural on a camera and they can just wing it. They don't need to make scripts and they don't need to spend time. They can just turn on their camera and go. And last but not least, the likelihood of you being successful begins with you creating the best content. Questions that you could ask are, you know, are you adding to the dialogue? Are you eliciting feedback and seeing criticism correctly? And if you are, that's usually an indicator that you're doing something right. And I really love the way Robert put this. And I think it's a good way to end. By putting something together that is the best, you naturally have a higher likelihood that it's going to be successful. doesn't mean it is. I mean, even the best baseball players are like 0.35 batting average. That means, that means they're missing seven pitches and they're only hitting three. And that makes them the best. It's the same in the blogging and content creation world. As our quick community update, many of you might have heard if you saw and paid attention to your emails that we sent out last week that we have a book coming out in the near future. And we're still up in the mock-up design stage for design, but the content is really getting its bearings and honestly should be finalized pretty soon. And in last week's email, I shared a little behind the scenes design work and a call for 10 people to put their hat in the ring to review the book before it goes on sale. And while we're still away from that, there were so many responses and just amazing feedback. So if you would like to provide feedback to me, make sure you are subscribed to our email list because that's where I send all the cool stuff. You can go to financialresidency.com slash subscribe, get on the list, and we're probably gonna be soliciting some more feedback on some cool other things that we're creating at financialresidency.com. So I'm in the process of making selections for those 10 people, but I would love for you to give me updates and feedback as well. So please do that. And thank you so much for being amazing and supporting the show. I think it's great that you guys all decided to join in on the show. And I'm really honored that you guys are here because this podcast is about really fun topics in my mind, like cash flow planning and budgets, financial goals, investments, and really all things related to money and the details making those things worth pursuing in real life. And while these type of topics aren't the sexiest, you're here and that's what really matters. I work really hard at delivering great information this podcast, but there's a catch. I don't know anything about you or what your financial needs are. So please consult your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to us, fee-only financial planners, before taking any action or making decisions affecting your hard-earned money. Next week, I'll be back on the mic talking about physician mortgages, what's going on in the current market, and what you really need to know if you're buying a home or if you own a home that has a mortgage on it. So have a great week. See you guys on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.